You're listening to the Dopos podcast on the KUCI podcast network. Today's episode has been in my mind for a long time since last summer when it was given to me by Nate Duncan, host of the Dunked On podcast, Asian Americans in sports. It's a topic that most people probably don't think about. Maybe it's because the sports world is a mystery to people outside of the community of diehard fans. What more could there be than people playing a game for money and a trophy? Why are people so obsessed with whether or not their team wins tonight? It's just a game. Chill. A lot of people watch sports in the world, but not as many people decide to actually pursue sports as a career or even think of it as an opportunity that exists. There's even less people pursuing sports as a career that are Asian American. That's why I wanted to do this podcast series. Everyone tells me to find people that look like me and see what they did to get to where they are. But there aren't many mediums out there that host Asian Americans working in sports and allow them to tell their stories. Like how they got to where they are or how they discovered sports if they or their parents weren't born in the United States. How differently they may view sports through the lens of their upbringing I don't want people to have to think too long when they're asked if Jeremy Lin was the last Asian American in the NBA. Hint, he's not. There are non-players too that make up the sports world and that are also Asian American. I'm hoping my pod can be that medium for Asian Americans in sports to come and tell their stories, but also for the Asian Americans listening who love sports and they want to work in sports. And with that, I'm Adam Doe, first-gen Asian-American, and I love sports. So today, I have my friend Robbie Vanderbilt Pruna in as the first guest. He's a data scout for Sport Radar by night, trial lawyer of his own firm by day. He goes to all the Lakers home games as part of the media. We have the same Lakers blood in our veins. Robbie, welcome to the show. What's going on, AD? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So Robbie and I, we went to Sports Business Classroom 2019 last summer. We did not yep. meet there. Um, we, we, we texted a couple times since then, and he was the first person I thought of to uh, bring on to the show to do Asian Americans in sports. So Robbie, um, I'm sure a lot of our friends right now from SBC, at least are wondering why your name is Robbie and not Ravi or Rovi. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's funny. Well, I, I get that a lot. And, um, well, I guess, uh, the long story of it is. Um, I was born in the Philippines, and my name is spelled um, with a Filipino V. And um, back home, it's pronounced Robbie. Um, that's what my parents have always called me. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a little hard to explain that it's um, not Rovi. But you know, Rovi's kind of grown on me as, as well too, just because it sounds so close to Kobe. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. So uh, since you started talking about like how you were born and and your how how you were uh, named. Uh, can you just like 
give give us the the rundown of like a short summary of your your life thus far from when you're born in the Philippines to um, coming to the United States and um, getting into basketball as like like a fan. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sure. Okay. So I was born in the Philippines and I came here around four or five years old or so. I uh, didn't really know much English. Um, I actually had trouble in my kindergarten class. Um, I had my teacher call my parents a couple times and say, you know, it's a little hard to communicate with Ravi. It's, um, uh, you know, he, he doesn't really uh, grasp English very well. So I remember coming home one day and my parents were like, okay, so uh, we're just going to have you talk English from now on from home. So that's how I, I learned English real quick. Um, I grew up here in SoCal. Um, grew up a big Lakers fan. Um, I was close to my, my grandfather's um, sister, so I guess my grand aunt. So one of my earliest memories was uh, uh, watching Magic come back out of retirement as a kid. And I, I guess I missed like all of Showtime era, but you know I was happy to see him play. Um, so that's when I started becoming a big Laker fan, um, coming from a big Laker family. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in SoCal, and then I went to law school in Nevada. I moved back here. Um, after a few years of practicing law, I realized, you know, I, I just want to get into basketball. I want to be back in, and I, I want to be exposed to the game. So I went to um, Pro Scout School. I don't know if you've you heard of that one. It happens in Vegas right around SBC. Yeah, the TPG, right? Yeah, yeah. So I heard that they're owned by Pure, Pure Sweat now, but it was TPG when I did go. Uh-huh. So I went in 2017. Um, I was just curious about the industry. Um, if anything, it, would, it was just going to be a fun experience for me because I knew that they um, they talked about how to be a scout and how to be an agent, how to be um, how to get into the industry. And um, I attended, and it was just a fun thing for me. And then uh, it just so happens that Sport Radar um, was expanding their operations, and they just got this uh, multi-year deal with the NBA to do all their stats. And so they were in need of I'm going to cover Laker games, then I guess I was just the right place at the right time. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you, as I said in my intro, you have your own law firm, but then you decided mm-hmm. to um, pursue another career in sports with Sport Radar. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk about like how how that is working two like I'm guessing pretty demanding jobs at the same time while also um, tending to your own family matters? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. So when I was in law school, I did the, the nighttime program because I was working at a law firm during the day. So um, in law school, there was either the daytime program, so you can go to law school full-time, or for people who have day jobs that they um, can't, can't leave or that they need to keep, um, there's the night program. And so when I was there, I was the second to the youngest in my class, and um, just being around the, all those people there just inspired me. I had a lot of friends who were doubling up in their careers. Um, I had friends who used to be a police officer, and then they went to law school. I had another friend who got out of the military, uh, went to go to law school. Um, then I had a friend in my class who was also a, a clinical psychologist, uh, PhDs and everything, and he wanted to go to law school. So I think I was just exposed at a, um, an early time that you, know, you could do more than one thing, and it's possible. So for me, it was never a weird thing for me to think, okay, I could possibly have two careers. Um, but uh, I think the caveat I would tell your listeners is this. Um, it's never easy to have, like, two careers. Um, I guess some of the roadblocks that you would get 
when you're um, but when you're going about either one, right? Um, you'll get objections like, well, "How dedicated are you to um, you know being a lawyer if you're also working in basketball, or vice versa? Like, how dedicated are you in basketball to um, but if you're also a lawyer by day?" So. Those are just some objections that, you know, you need to be prepared to answer when the time comes. But, you know, if, if it's something for you, um, if you, if you love both things, then you'll just find a way to make it work. Yeah. I, I also think like if you, uh, you know, everybody needs to survive, right? Everybody needs a job to make money mm-hmm. from, but if you're not feeling happy, like you, you should do something about that. Or you, if you're not mm-hmm. feeling satisfied, I, I mean to say you want, you want something more then I yeah. definitely think people should just, you know, pursue that for sure. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm a school of thoughts. Uh, I'm from the school of thought of, uh, Gary V. Um, you ever heard of him? Gary Vaynerchuk, where yeah. he talks yeah. about everything, the, about, um, working hard and, um, being happy. Um, those are the two things that he talks about most. And, you know, I feel like that's the thing I want to embolden the most in my life. So if you're, if you're happy doing this, just go do that and just be prepared to work hard for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I've heard of him, but I don't really know too much about what he does, but you know, that's, that's also something that I believe in and something I think a lot of people mm-hmm. like believe in as well. Right. And, uh, you, you probably have grown up with it too, being from, you know, Asian American family. It's, it's all about like, you know, do well in school, work hard, make sure, you know, make sure that you could support yourself and you're self-sufficient and you take care of your family, you know, that's what we grow up believing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to talk more about that. That um, thank you for mentioning mm-hmm. that. So what? So you came over here when you were four or five years old. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have like any other family living here before you came, or like did your entire family just come and start new together? Oh man, um, that was really a hard time in my family's um, history. My parents were actually the first ones to come here. And they had come here when I was about eight months. And uh, from what I understand, they had to get everything set up before, you know, my sister and I could uh, both go. And from what I understood, that they they couldn't possibly um, adjust to a new country, a new everything, a new home, and uh, have two little kids with them. So the decision was made to have my sister go with them first. And then so I was kind of raised by my grandparents in the Philippines for a few years. And then when I was right around four years old or so, that's when uh, I suppose things were a little more stable financially for them. And that's when I came in. So it, it was pretty hard for us. Um, my parents were the first ones here. So um, we didn't have any connections and um, we just worked uh, as hard as we could. Wow. That's that's like such a similar story to how um, my life is. Like I didn't go through the same thing as you, but... Um, my, my parents, they, they had me later. So, which is why I think Mm -hmm. I was fortunate to not be in that kind of situation. Um, Mm -hmm. so my, it's more like my, my dad's siblings, uh, they, they had kids before him. So it's, I think their kids had to be, uh, they had like, you know, a a period of separation, I guess. Um, I, I know for sure one of my dad's siblings, he didn't want to go without his kids. So he decided to stay in Vietnam while his siblings moved on to the United States. But then by the time, but, but, but because he did, chose to do that, he now can't leave Vietnam. And he's the only sibling of my dad's that mm-hmm. is still in Vietnam. And when, when I remember visiting them in Vietnam and 
you know, just seeing how different our lives were, you know, th- they were happy mm-hmm. and like they were healthy, but you know, I can't imagine myself like living uh, in Vietnam under their conditions, you know, like I'm just so used mm-hmm. to the conditions Absolutely. in the United States and like, I'm so thankful for it. Um, my, my dad, like he, uh, th- my dad and mom, they both came over from Vietnam during the war. Uh, my mm-hmm. mom came over like uh, with like an airplane. So like super safe and whatnot. But my dad, like he was one of those like really hardcore people who like had to get on like a boat and like go to refugee camp. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, I won't, I won't talk more. Uh, I won't talk, talk too much about that because it's your episode, but uh, yeah, I can't believe like, it's oh, so rare. I think, I think it's great that, you know, you share your stories like that because so many of us, um, you know, coming from Asian heritage, like we, you know, we can relate to that. It, it's, it wasn't always easy for us to, to get here. Just uh, getting here could be like a lifelong achievement in and of itself, you know? So, you know, kudos to your parents for getting you here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like now my parents, they're pretty old. My dad just turned 70, I think. And then my mom is like 62 now. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, I think they're just really happy that, uh, my sister and I are doing well in college and in life. And, you know, I, I'm happy that they're just, you know, taking life uh, pre- pretty easily, just relaxing and, uh, not stressing too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but more, so more on like hard work for like Asian families. Um, Mm -hmm. what did your parents, if you don't mind sharing, like what, what did you, what did they have to like, uh, like what kind of jobs did they have to do when they came over here? Oh, wow. Um, their first job was this, uh, this little video store. Um, you know, people would rent VHS tapes and, and, uh, even video games. So it was just like this tiny little shop, um, that also sold little knickknacks here and there. Um, it's this little shop in um, Norwalk. It's uh, changed owners uh, many times over the years, but we still see it every once in a while. It's it's nice to just look back and go, hey, this is where our family started here. Did you ever hang out in the store while your parents were working? Um, no, I think by the time I got here when I was little, um, my dad started working at the airport at Super Shuttle, um, and then my mom was a nurse, so... Um, my mom would work the night shift, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., and then my dad would work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So that's how they made ends meet. I'm one of four kids, and uh, they just did what they had to. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. My um, my mom, my parents also own like a like a store, a convenience store, a 99 mm-hmm. cent store, and then my dad just like switched, or my dad just uh, decided to just take care of the family by himself so that my mom could raise me and my sister while we were going through our like mm-hmm. grade school so my dad uh works at like a post office distribution center in downtown la and he's still doing it actually so not retired oh, yet wow yeah he, he he's planning to support my sister and i until she graduates which is like in two years so very uh, cool very cool good friend now adam so when you were growing up did you always know that you wanted to go in sports no, I, I, I was so, I was so unsure of like sports as a career for the longest time, not mm-hmm. even until like just last year, I was still unsure of it. And it's because mm-hmm. my, my parents, they never really bought into the American culture that much. They, they mostly prefer mm-hmm. to watch an, a Vietnamese culture or take part in that, you know? So I'm talking mm-hmm. like 
we, like Vietnamese people, they're really into this like series called Paris by Night, where it's just like a concert series and like Vietnamese music and skits and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're into that. They're never they're they're never they're not really into like basketball or football. Maybe a little soccer, but not basketball. So I okay. had yeah, I had to discover basketball myself. Like, is that what you had yeah. to do, or like through your your grand aunt? Yeah, my grand aunt. Um, I was I was close to her um, when I was little, and uh, she uh, she loved Magic Johnson. She loved the Lakers. That's where it all started for me. And both my parents were Laker fans as well. It was our escape. You know, every few nights we just circle the calendar, like, hey, like Lakers are playing. Like it's, it's family night. Let's all you know, gather around the the living room and stuff. Um, but uh, I feel like I did have to develop a passion for sports myself because I personally didn't. Um, I never imagined that I would end up working in sports. Um, I mean, you could probably relate to this. But our, my parents were always like, you know, get straight A's, you know, um, just do well in school, and everything else is kind of like for leisure, like you know, enjoy your your basketball at home. But it's not. It was never like a viable career for me. It was always, you know, either work in the medical field, um, in law, just something white collar, just something safe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. And so um, when I got older, I. I yeah, and so it wasn't until like a few years ago, um, probably until I went to uh, pro scout school in 2017, where um, up until then I would just think like, you know, working in sports is just impossible unless you know somebody. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't know anybody. I just knew I knew I loved basketball and I knew I loved um, the NBA. But um, you go there and then you just, you know, you leave yourself open, up to, open to opportunities. And I'm just glad I, I came in at the right time. Yeah, so my uh, same thing for me, either get straight A's or get, you know, A's and a couple B's or, you know, I get I get in trouble. Uh I get mm-hmm. or my my freedom uh, to go out with friends is restricted. I think for me looking back, every not, not no parent out there is going to be perfect and like they try their best. And I I I I love my parents. I appreciate what they did, but you know, looking back to for me, like I was always thinking, I'm not, I, I never thought about what I wanted to do in life. I always thought about getting good grades so I could go out with my friends later. Mm-hmm. So I wish, I wish like that kind of pressure wasn't on me so that maybe I could explore and like really think about what I wanted to do in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So uh, how do they feel about you now, you know, you're going to SBC and doing all the things that you're doing? You know, you know, I don't, you know, that question that parents ask, like, what, what are you going to do with, what are you going to do with your major or how does it relate to your major? Like they tie everything mm-hmm. back to your college major. And sometimes mm-hmm. it, it might be really difficult to explain the opportunity that you're pursuing and how it relates mm-hmm. to your major or how it may not e- relate to your major. So mm-hmm. I, when I told my parents that I was going to, drop a lot large amount of money to go to sports business classroom the first thing they Mm -hmm. they asked was like okay so how does that relate to economics and your degree and right i had to return on it yeah i had to like explain in like really broad terms like how it may relate to economics but like not really Mm -hmm. um and then they were they were very skeptical and they're like oh yeah it's a lot of money but I, 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 I like stood up for myself and I was like, hey, it's my money. I saved up a lot, you know, and I think it's a, the right thing to do. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go. And right. yeah. And I think 
it's a money well spent right yeah, yeah, yeah i think i think they 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 trusted me and you know believe that you know i was doing something that i believed was worth doing so they were they were supportive in that sense but again they don't they don't really know much about the sports industry or even like the working in general and like in the united states you know because they mm-hmm. they didn't go to college here they didn't go to high school here so there's like that conflict where your parents and you are like living in two different worlds for me at least mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah so they still when, when i when, when i see them i i try to update them on what i'm doing but it's still really hard because you have to like simplify things like all mm-hmm. the way down so to to get them to understand a little bit of what you're you're trying mm-hmm. to do but we we make it work right robbie right we do we do and um i guess from my experience too the the thing that i learned over the years is the greatest return that you can give your parents um is just your own happiness. You know, I think at the end of the day, you know, they, they push us to, to work hard, get straight A's, you know, be on the top of your class, uh, you know, no matter what, what it takes. But I think at the end of the day, you know, they just mean well and they want us to succeed in life because, you know, they come from way different backgrounds than we did. You know, um, my parents both grew up in the Philippines and, you know, your, your dad, uh, my goodness, like, you know, had to fight his way to get over here to America. So, like, our childhoods, you know, they're, they're not even going to be anything comparable at all. But I think the greatest thing you can give them is your happiness at the end of the day, and I think that's all they're really looking for. And so um, they, they put a lot of pressure on me, my parents did, um, but I think the thing that really liberated me was, you know, I graduated law school, and, you know, I got the JD that they've always wanted, and I became a lawyer. And I think after my first trial that I did, um, I won. I won my first trial, and they were just so happy for me. And I think at that moment, I realized, you know, it, it didn't matter so much, like, you know, what kind of degree I got, what I did for a living. They, they wanted to make sure that I was okay, you know. And um, with that knowledge, I felt I felt more free. And I think that's how I had the courage to go. You know, I'm going to do what my original passion was. I mean, in retrospect, I I don't know. I, I love basketball so much. I don't know. If I had to do it over again. Like I would go straight to the NBA. I mean, probably not because, you know, you learn a lot of things on, on the journey that you're given. But, um, you know, I, I think after, you know, getting their approval and, um, you know, winning, winning over their happiness, I suppose, like it made me um, more free to venture out on a second journey. And I think they're just more excited now too because they were a little skeptical too. Like how are you supposed to, you know, work in the NBA while you're an attorney during the day, like, do you even have time? Like, can you, can you do both? And I think, um, you know, this being my third season working in the NBA, um, you know, they see that and they're just excited about it now. Yeah. And going back to your earlier point about Asian parents kind of wanting their kids to go for the safe jobs, the white collar jobs that like, like provide stability. Mm -hmm. I think at the base of it all, it's because they, they believe that these jobs because they they make you stable, they um, give you like a house to live under, they give you food, they give you you know the basic necessities to survive. I, I, I think they, they, they want their kids to go into these jobs because they, they want their kids to be um, happy and healthy just like them, you know and and uh, yeah. live, live a long life with, uh, with them and, and you know, have their own kids and, and continue the family. 
I think that's, that's yeah. why our Asian parents like want that so much for their kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, for me, my parents really wanted to be a, me to be a nurse. <laughs> if you oh, yeah. it. I guess it's a Filipino thing. It's like, like, no mom and dad, like, you know, all my cousins are nurses, like, you know, like all my aunts and uncles are nurses. Like I want to be something else, you know? And then I, I think it took a while for them to be like, okay, well, what is it then? You know, what, what can you do that'll support you? And, um, you know, for for me, it was law. And uh, like, what what did your parents want you to be growing up? I don't think I, I don't think they ever. So the the funny story for for my family is that since my sister and I were born so late, my parents got to see exactly see see their siblings raise their kids and see like what, how they messed up, right? So mm-hmm. compared to my cousins who are you know now <laughs> I, I know I'm a I'm a second kid, so like I'm envious of like my younger two. Yeah, so like my cousins are all in their 40s right now. So then when my mm-hmm. cousins were in, you know, their teens or whatever, I wasn't existed. I, I didn't exist yet. So I've mm-hmm. heard like scary stories of like my one of the older cousins being forced to major in biology, I think, because his mom wanted to him to go to med school. But then like he hated mm-hmm. he hated biology. So you know, I think his mom told my parents, like, hey, you know, maybe take it easy on your kids. Don't do not do what we did. So I didn't mm-hmm. really have that pressure. The pressure was just, like, mm-hmm. just make it through college and make it uh, in a career that you want. And mm-hmm. uh, But some, some sometimes they're like, you know, just make sure it's not too hard. Uh, make sure you uh, have a lot of money or have a lot of, you know, family time. So yeah, yeah. they weren't I, as I strict. They weren't as strict. I was on the fortunate side. Oh man! Yeah. Also, yeah, I was, I'll, I'm a little I was, envious, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, I was I was kind of like on the slacker side in high school compared to my sister. So, my sister, they were they were asking like the tougher questions about life than than me. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me the um, the more that my parents pressured you know get into the medical field more than anything, um, it, it didn't really foster that kind of intuition growing up thinking like you know oh, let me find you know my, my passion let me find what I'm meant to do you know my purpose and so I think I had to think about that when I was older because when I was older I realized like I, I just don't want to work in the medical field um, when I got into UC Riverside for undergrad um, I was a physics major to start you know I, I thought I wanted to work at NASA I wanted to you know work in aerospace and then I switched um, majors to political science and then I went to law school and then for a year, I worked in the U.S. Senate. Um, and then I had um, a bunch of jobs in between. I just, you know, you have to try everything until you find out, like, what you like. And uh, fortunately for me, like, I ended up with the thing that I really loved from the beginning. Um, that I, and I didn't think it was possible, and that's working in the NBA. I, I never really thought about passion, really, until last year, you know. I always thought about mm-hmm. just stability and uh, safety and just money to survive off of. I never thought about passion and I, I never thought about how important that is to, to life. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, it won't, it won't, you won't last long doing something just to survive. Like you, you, you gotta be happy too. That's, that's mm-hmm. important. Um, for me, yeah, that's, that's hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think when you, when you are happy, like it, it just makes, you know, your, your parents happy too, because if, uh, say for example, you know, things played out and I've seen this, you know, unfortunately in, you know, people that I'd known, um, if you just go and do exactly what your parents wanted and you never, you know, look to see what you actually wanted, 
um, if you end up in a career that you never wanted because, you know, an Asian parent was overbearing and said, this is the, this is the way, this is how we should be, and this is how uh, to survive in this world. Um, you know, the great thing is we live in 2020 where um, you could basically be anything in the world now. You know, if I told my parents like 20 years ago that like, hey, in the future, you know, kids are making millions of dollars off tournaments and playing Fortnite, you know, that would have just blown their minds, you know? Yeah. And so I think like if you end up doing something that you don't want to do based on like your parents, like wishes or expectations, then your relationship with them suffers and it kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, what they wanted to. And I, I think another, I think another roadblock in, uh, you know, the Asian parent um, child relationship is sometimes that there's not just the cultural barrier, there's a language barrier. Mm -hmm. So sometimes parents want to like, um, lightly encourage you to do one thing or to study one thing or to, you know, talk a certain way. But, um, sometimes it just comes off very direct. Like this is what you need to do just because maybe they just don't know how to express that, um, in, in any better way than, you know, maybe like limited English. Uh, my, so my parents are pretty good, like with English. Um, they don't use it that much though, because they mostly just hang out with their siblings. But like, like how you said about, expressing yourself to your parents can be a difficulty sometimes like for me mm -hmm. i me you know you you probably love talking about sports as well and like we love to express our love for for basketball but for my parents that when they don't watch basketball and their english isn't perfect it's so hard mm -hmm. to like express my love for basketball and like it's, it's mm -hmm. so hard to explain why why like i spend so much of my time watching basketball and why it's so exciting to watch the lakers play and watch mm -hmm. lebron and ad play it's it's hard and mm -hmm. i i don't think even like the the best translators can convey the same amount of like emotion of mm -hmm. into into like another language yeah i definitely agree um i i, I wish uh you know, language wasn't such a barrier sometimes. Um, but, you know, fortunately with yours, you know, your parents speak, speak it pretty well. But, you know, also the fortunate thing about us working in sports is that, you know, sports is a universal language. You know, when, when Kobe passed away, you know, you see stuff from all around the world. You know, I got messages from, like, my cousins in the Philippines. I have, like, 30-some cousins over there. Um, my family's the only one who really made it here. Um, but they're just like, you know, Robbie, like, it would, be, it would have been nice to, like, see Kobe in person. Like, you know, it would have been so great to, like, see him growing up like that. And, um, you know, some of them do stay up, um, you know, until, like, 4 in the morning to watch NBA basketball live because that's just when it airs over there. So I feel like, you know, the fortunate about us is that sports is a universal language, you know. Yeah, I I think so, too. But I think for if you you wanted to get your your my parents into basketball like you they need to take the time to like watch and then they can maybe mm -hmm. maybe they can see why the appeal of sports and i think that's when the universality of sports like would come in so for your parents like who who would you say their favorite athlete is they they i don't think they watch like they don't watch enough sports to have a favorite athlete that's the thing mm -hmm. yeah huh. but um i so speaking of Kobe, uh, one of the questions mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about was like Kobe stories, right? Sure. And and then um, my dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, I I started watching basketball the same time as Kobe starting his uh, second to last year in the NBA. So mm -hmm. when he announced his retirement in his last year, 
I told my dad, like, hey, like, can you take me, please? Like, we got to see him play at least once before he retires. So mm-hmm. I'm happy I got to bring my dad and my little sister to see Kobe play on, like, a good night, mm-hmm. too. It was against the, the Bucks in 2016, and, you know, Kobe played mm-hmm. really well. And then when uh, Kobe passed away, I, I, I let my dad know. And ever since then, my dad's been sending me, like, Kobe videos but like he he, mm-hmm. he under the he's like assuming that I haven't seen them already, like he just oh. he just sent me the the one where like Kobe jumps into like a a pool of snakes I think or something like that. Oh right, the the old Nike ad. Yeah yeah yeah. But you know at least mm-hmm. at least he, my I, I I'm glad my dad is like you know trying to connect with me and sending me Kobe videos. Yeah, that, that's cool. Um, I, I guess my, my dad does something similar. He just um he'll text me saying like. Um, his favorite player right now is James Harden. So when he called me um, last night, I was like, oh, uh, we should turn on TV right now. Like, um, James Harden and the Rockets are playing the Lakers. So it's cool that we get to connect our, with our parents in a whole new way. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, 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 I'm wondering, I'm wondering that if, like, my sister and I, since we're getting older, my parents have less, you know, things they have to take care of for us. So... Mm-hmm. Like literally on Sunday, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, my dad, I was texting him because I was helping him with like, you know, Asian, Asian son tech support stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh, for sure. Yeah. He was telling me, he was telling me like, hey, I'm watching the Super Bowl with my friends right now. And I'm like, really? Like you watch, you watch football? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm just hanging <laughs> out with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Um, it, so, it, is he, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I can get him into basketball eventually, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's a sport to to follow. Does he uh, like Kobe now? I think I think he he I think to in order to like Kobe, you have to like know his backstory a little bit at least. You know, otherwise mm-hmm. like he's just another insanely good basketball player. And you, mm-hmm. you people people will like that, but I think the reason why people love Kobe is because his backstory is like as amazing or more amazing than his basketball career. Yeah, and you probably feel the same as I do. You know, we we grew up in SoCal. And so, you know, Kobe, we we kind of watched him grow. And so it's kind of like we grew, um, you know, seeing him grow from like a 17-year-old kid into like the man he became um, in the end. So it it was tough for me. Was was the the week that you found out about Kobe um, tough for you as well? Uh, Dude, first first celebrity um, death that made me cry. And I cried a lot over that week. Um, mm-hmm. I found out about him um, passing at work. Yeah. But where were you when you found out? Uh, I was working at mm-hmm. Target, just monitoring the self-checkout lanes. And then I found out from a customer. And I had to, like, really hold back the tears for, like, until that my shift was over. And mm-hmm. um, I went home and, like, I just let it all out. And uh, yeah. And I, he was yeah. like, he, he would be my, my first thought when I woke up in the morning. He, and until like, you know, Thursday, he, like when I would wake up and he wasn't my first thought, he'd be like my second or third thought. And mm-hmm. it's gone easier since then, but I still think about it. And then mm-hmm. Friday's memorial, uh, Friday's like memorial for him. They, they, the, mm-hmm. I just cried even more and cause they, they did everything so perfectly and, uh, you were there. Like, how how is it for you? Yeah. Oh man. Well, that was that was a that was a tough week for me. So, um, 
actually when I found out I was at home and then I started scrolling through Twitter and then I started seeing, you know, Team Z posted and, and saying like, you know, Kobe died in a helicopter crash. And I, I kept looking, I was like, no, this can't be real. You know, someone had to have hacked TMZ. Like how are the only, they the only ones saying it. And then I just kept refreshing, refreshing. And then I just got horrified as more details came out. Um, and, and by the way, uh, it's, I don't think it was really cool. You know, TMZ and others, I feel like um, we're such in a first um, first position content um, phase in life. I, I wouldn't know what to describe it, but you know, everyone's trying to be the first to break the news before, you know, thinking, hey, maybe the, the family should be notified first. So, yeah, I, I, I just don't think that the, the whole culture of, like, having, um, you know, first to break the news is, is healthy for us. Uh, definitely not in uh, in this Kobe story too. So uh, when I found out, it was it was hard for me too. I had um, I had a whole family day there. I hung out with my wife's family early in the afternoon, then my family in the evening. And I remember when we came home that night after everything settled, and then we just watched the news. Um, my wife and I just kind of broke down crying. Like we're huge Kobe fans, and I just thought to myself, like, there's no way I can I can get to the next game because uh, I found out around. It happened on a Sunday, and then we were playing uh, the Clippers Tuesday night at Staples Center. And I just thought to myself, like, well, you know, how are we all going to compose ourselves? This is this is insane. And then I was just really relieved on Monday when they said that um, the Lakers and Clippers game would be postponed. And uh, it was it was just it was just a relief because I just don't know how I would have been able to get to the game all composed and and do my job. Um, that was still the case on Friday during the Memorial game. So, um, you know, when, when I actually saw Kobe in person for the first time, it was um, December 29th against Dallas. That's the game where um, Luca was inbounding the ball, and then he turned around for a second and, like, shook Kobe's hand. Do you remember that game? Yep, yep. I definitely remember that game. Yeah, so I, I got to that game, and um, I was walking uh, walking baseline, and I realized, like, why is everyone like gathered around this um, this person? He's like wearing this um, bright orange hoodie. I'm like, who is this? And I look over. I'm like, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's Kobe. And um, you know, I think it's one of the few times I still get starstruck at work. I just thought, my goodness, this is my childhood hero. He's here with his daughter. That's so cool that you know she's um, you know absorbing all this basketball knowledge. It was just really cool to see them both. And I just thought to myself, like, that's awesome. Kobe's going to be coming here more often. You know, maybe someday I can you know, actually have a conversation with him down the line. And um, that was really cool to just see him there. And uh, I never would have thought that, you know, almost a month later we'd be going for his memorial game there. And, you know, Friday's game was, was really tough. Um, it, it, was, it was packed um, more, than, uh, more than it normally is. Um, I sit at Media Row right around uh, Section 117. Um, almost everyone showed up there. And then um, I moved up to the upper press levels, um, pretty high up. It's, it's higher than the um, 300 section, but there's a, a couple of rows in media um, where we work over there. So I go over there, and there's, like, you know, everybody on their seats. And um, everyone was just real emotional. I think from the opening of uh, Usher singing, like, uh, Amazing Grace mm-hmm. uh, to voice uh, to men singing and then LeBron having his speech and then um, Charlie Puth singing at halftime. Yeah, it was just a, it was the real emotion, real emotional game. And um, it was, it was hard to see Kobe go, you know, we all grew up with him. We all felt 
a strong connection to him. You know, being an LA kid, um, just seeing him grow from being a teenager to um, you know a father, like right before our eyes, I feel like it was such a huge loss for the city and for the world. And he was just starting a career that you could argue would eventually match his basketball career. Um, his career, I'm talking about his career in like making, um, making movies and short, short films and, um, his book career too. Yeah. You said it, it looked like he could have, he could have done just as well. And which is a tall order to say, because, you know, as a hall of famer, you know, five championship rings and 18 all-star appearances, like how can you ever match that in any other industry? And it looked like he was going to do it. And, I I want to talk more about like the memorial game. Um, you know the mm-hmm. Lakers like announcer. His name is like Lawrence Tanner, I think. Lawrence Tanner, yep. Yeah. So, I, when I when I saw the game, I was at school with a with a friend, and I I was crying in front of her while she was you know studying, and she was just trying to comfort me. But mm-hmm. I think I I started crying a little more when like I don't know if you noticed, but I think he. When Lawrence was doing the, the mm-hmm. intros, I think, or like some sometime near there, he like mm-hmm. he like stuttered, you know, and like that just triggered me to cry because I've I've watched so many Lakers games where I know exactly how things should sound and things should look like. Mm-hmm. So him stuttering to me was like, you know, even he is so impacted by Kobe's death that like he he stuttered during his like when he was working. And like, like it probably never happens, you know, like he's probably stuttered less than five times in his entire career. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So he's a definitely guy with a golden voice there. And uh, for him to choke up, just like we all did, you know, we all felt that. Yeah. Um, I I think it was especially emotional when he um, introduced the starting lineup as uh, everybody six, six from lower Marion high school, Kobe Bryant. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool tribute. I think the Lakers as a whole just did really well for that memorial. Yeah, yeah. And um, the I think I remember apparently during the game, like he, Lawrence also made sure to point out like what, every quarter when there was like eight minutes and 24 seconds left to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it was definitely an emotional game and nothing I've ever seen before. It, it was just surreal. Um. And, you know, I do feel for the players, especially that day, because, you know, imagine the week that they've had, um, you know, they they were all uh, close to them on some level. Um, You know, Dwight had a relationship with them, LeBron, uh, Quinn, everyone had a relationship with them. And then for them to, you know, have to prepare for that game, um, you know, have to talk to people about it, have to answer questions from the media about uh, Kobe and all the emotions were just so raw. And, um, I feel especially for LeBron, who had to, you know, basically give a eulogy before the world about Kobe right before playing um, the Blazers, you know, with Dame just uh, being unstoppable. I think it was just a tall order to ask. Yeah. But they did it. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, you know, every, like I said, it's getting better every day, but I'm still Mm going to feel it for for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's hard to it, it's hard to grasp how much this would have affected us. You know what I mean? I think you know, speaking for myself, just growing up, I kind of saw Kobe as superhuman, right? He was the guy who, you know, on one Achilles, would still sing two free throws. 
Um, he could dislocate his finger in the middle of the game and just snap it back on and play. You know, this uh, sprained ankle is supposed to sideline a regular person for like two to three weeks. He'll be back in like two to three days. You know, so for the idea of Kobe at age 41 to just not be here anymore, it's just, it's still really weird. Yeah. Um, I think, I think this might be the last question, but I want to ask what, Mm -hmm. what does Kobe do you think, or what does he mean to Asian Americans who love basketball and are diehard NBA fans? You know, like Mm -hmm. what, what did he mean to us? And why, why, why are we mourning him like so much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. I'm glad you asked that because, you know, I did think about this more. And as you know, Kobe is just beloved, um, especially um, in China, all throughout Asia. And I think what he is is that he embodies that work ethic that we just have innate in us, where we just believe like if you work hard, you know, you'll get to you'll 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 get success. And for us, we saw him just give his whole mind and body to the game. Like, he just dedicated his life to his craft. And that's something that we Asians, um, with our work ethic, can really um, embrace. You know, we can relate to that because, you know, a lot of us are struggling in third world countries, such as Vietnam and the Philippines. Like, we know what hard work is like. We know what it's like not to be given anything. And so um, you see Kobe putting in his uh, 100% every game it's inspiring, you know, it, it inspires us to go, you know, maybe we, we can uh, push through work today, even though we don't feel like even though our body's aching. So that's what we saw in him. And um, for us, I guess he is the embodiment of that work ethic. Yeah. And I think to add on top of that, I, I totally agree. I think to add on top of that, because of his like insane work ethic and how insane his games are, I think for for a lot of Asian Americans who are like we most of us may not have grown up with sports we're kind of like outsiders to this mysterious world and I think mm-hmm. through Kobe he introduced us to basketball and this larger community you know and mm-hmm. from from him we may have expanded to maybe supporting our local team if like we didn't grow up in LA or mm-hmm. just supporting some other team if we grew up like out of the country and he was he he like i think for me like my story just watching basketball later like when i was in high school and not really growing up with it and having him um introduce like i always knew of kobe as like this legend i i knew his lore like very broadly through my friends growing up as a kid but then when i actually started to watch the game like i i could kind of confirm what i was hearing from my friends all this time and from there, I just like expanded and I just try to learn more about basketball any way I can. And mm-hmm. yeah, so hard work, yeah. work like relatable, but also he, him being like that, you know, the Jordan of our era to introduce people to the game. Mm-hmm. He was just an inspiration all around. All right. I think that's all I have for you today. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Anything? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm good when you are ahead. Okay, uh, we're at 46 minutes, so I'm gonna call it here. Uh, thank you, Robbie, mm-hmm. for coming on the show. Uh, do you want to shout out yeah, your, no your, your your handle your your handle or anything like that? Um, sure. My uh, Twitter is Robbie Vanderbilt. R O V E E V A N D E R B I L T. 
Uh, Instagram is the same, but also with my last name, Ravi Vanderbilt Pruna. So uh, Ravi Vanderbilt and my last name, P-R-U-N-A. All right. And uh, I'm just Adam Trando on Twitter. Feel free to follow me there. And uh, okay, thank you again, Robbie, for having uh, for being on the show. Uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Adam. You got that feeling. Want to take the journey.